manipulate the scriptures to preach a message on a fifth anniversary, it would be very hard to find a place. It would be very hard for me to imagine to find a better place than where we are in Joshua chapter 7. Would you please turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. We spoke last week in chapter 6 about them going in and capturing Jericho. If you remember at all, we watched Israel march around the city of Jericho for seven days, some 13 times. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God along with them as they marched around the city of Jericho. It was important, I believe, that they were carrying the ark. It was to allow them to see that God was with them and also to let them know that without Him, there was no chance of taking Jericho. Jericho was much too fortified. It was, it was too hard to even imagine how we're going to get over the walls of this great city. And so I believe God allowed Israel to march around Jericho some 13 times to see how utterly impossible the task was before them, how impossible it would be to win this battle against such a fortified city. That is, to win this battle without God. Now, I am not a visionary. Most senior pastors are supposed to be visionaries. I believe that most people, not most, I believe that some senior pastors say they are because they're embarrassed to tell the congregation they're not. Because if we're not leading, who's following? Where are we going? I don't know. Where are we going? No, I have a feeling I know where we're going. But if I knew for this much how difficult it would be to start a church five years ago, I don't know what I would have done. So many people told me it's impossible. I'm, I'm talking about businessmen, but also senior pastors. It's, you'll, you'll never find a building. It's just too difficult. But what we know for certain is that Jericho was not beaten through human means. We are told in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 that the walls of Jericho fell down by one reason and one reason alone, faith and faith alone. In fact, Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down as they encircled that city for seven days. And we mentioned last week, where is your Jericho? By that I mean, where is the hopelessness within your life? Where is it that if God does not intervene, you cannot overcome? You cannot do it. Well, don't forget what God taught us last week. He said, number one, the victory is already yours. My son secured it for you upon the cross and then through the resurrection. He has secured your victory. And when you feel, number two, like the victory is overwhelming, or, or the maybe not the victory, that was the wrong word, but the, the battle that you're going through seems to be overwhelming. Secondly, you need to remember that we have already overcome the enemy 
the same way that Jericho did, and that was and is by faith. I ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 7. Can you find real quickly 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4? 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. It secures you and me in our walk through this life which we are now experiencing that we can overcome. It says in 1 John 5 verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this, this is our victory that has overcome the world. Two words, what? Our faith. That's what's overcome for you and me. And so when your Jericho is facing you, looking you straight in the eye, you can be secure that you already have victory. And when the battle seems to be so deep, you'll win by faith. You can overcome this world by and through faith. And that's the lesson I believe we learned when we took a look at Joshua chapter 6 and, and, and their overcoming Jericho last week. Well, verse 7 begins back to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. My goodness, it wasn't verse 7, verse 1, chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 begins with a very menacing word within Scripture. It is, but. But, but signals a change. Joshua and Israel is about to descend from the very mountaintop of the victory that they had in Jericho to the valley of defeat in the city of Ai. And it all happens from within the camp of Israel. If I could preach a message to any and every church that would ever listen, it would be this message. What we are going to put together as we read through, by the way, Joshua chapter 7 is so rich with deep and wonderful truths that there is no way that we can go through it in one lesson. It would be like trying to eat an elephant. You, you, you know, you couldn't. You have to take one bite, one bite at a time. And, and Joshua chapter 7, I'm telling you, is is incredible, incredible, some of the things we're going to see. I'll try not to interrupt my reading from verse 1 to verse uh, 21, but I might, just to forewarn you of what is going to come, not only today, but in the weeks to come. Let's read Joshua chapter 7, and let's see what took place that allowed Israel to lose the only battle that they lost in the promised land by Ai. Verse 1, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the band. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the band. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. And he said to them, Go up, spy out the land, 
And so the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. Verse 5 tells us the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gates as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So their hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan? Only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? Listen to verse 9. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. and They will surround us and they will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Oh, folks, that was a big mistake. Look what the Lord says to Joshua right after that. In our vernacular, he says, get up. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban. And they have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Let me stop for just a second. Do you notice that the Lord's talking in plural? Who sinned? We just read. Who sinned? It was a little while ago. Achan. Notice, the Lord God is placing the blame on everybody. That's very interesting and very deep, and we need to take a look at that. That we will look at today. Verse 12, Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed, and I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the band from your midst. Rise up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel has said, There are things under the band in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the band from your midst. In the morning... And you shall come nearby your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And it shall be that the one, the one who has taken the things under the ban shall be burnt with fire. He and all that belongs to him because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. 
Verse 16, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And then he brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of Zerahites. And he brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was taken. Watch verse 19. It's very important. Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to Him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw the spoil, a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekel of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and I took them. Behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver beneath it. In verse 21, you see a progression. It is a simple progression of sin. It is the progression of sin in every single one of our lives. I saw it. I coveted it. And then I took it. To Achan's credit, he did not water down his sin before God. I like Achan. I love Paul. Paul admitted that he sinned and that it was, a, it was a tough life for him to separate his flesh from his spirit and the things that he wanted to do, he didn't do. And it seems to me that Achan is that type of a person just like perhaps you and I are. So I like Achan. I'm so sorry that he did what he did. And I'm sure he is. The beauty of it is every single one of us have within us the heart of Achan. Every single one of us can see things that we covet and that we will take when we know we shouldn't. We'll talk about that more in time. Today, it's sufficient for us on our fifth anniversary and the fact that we are going to have communion at the end of this service. It is sufficient for us to recognize that none of us are an island, not a single one of us. That your sin, my sin, our sin affects each other within this body of Christ. I think every single one of you, I don't think just because I'm the pastor, because I'm not off on that pastor thing. You know that well, I hope. I think every single one of us wants this church to be all that God wants it to be. I think every single one of us wants to see God do great and amazing things. He has already done great and amazing things, but I think we want the best days for this church and for our young people ahead of us. For us to do that and want that, we need to understand what has taken place in the life of Achan. Because you and I are not islands in this church. 
Your life, my life, our lives affect one another. And God makes that crystal clear. He accuses in verse 1 and verse 11 the whole of Israel for the one person's sin. How can that be fair? I hope, by the grace of God, that I will explain that to you by the end of this service in the next 25 to 30 minutes. If, by the grace of God, the Lord allows us to comprehend what has taken place in the life of of Evakin, and if, by the grace of God, we, we become convicted to be the people of God that God has called us to be, there is no stopping what God will do in and through this church. But there is a stark warning. And the Lord says in verse 12, I'm not going to be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the fan from your midst. In other words, each of us need to cleanse ourselves because this world in which we live is like Jericho. It's tough. It's difficult. There are many, many um, obstacles more in our way that unless God does it, it is not going to be done. None of us can do what needs to be done without God. Not in this spiritual battle. And you and I are watching, and we're seeing firsthand this nation, this world in which we live, kind of fall apart, little by little, piece by piece. Can there not be a church? Can there not be a group of people that say, enough, enough. I want to live for the Lord with all my heart. I pray the Rock Community Church, as we celebrate our fifth anniversary, will be that type of a church, that we will move forward and that we will learn from this this man that I really like, Aiken. You know, it's, it's not easy to preach a message about not sinning anymore when you know, just like Paul, that we're all at best wretched. And so communion will be a good thing for us today to cleanse and to move forward from this day forward. Father, I am overwhelmed by this place in Scripture. And it is amazing to me, Father, how so often you bring us to the very perfect place in Scripture for the very perfect time in the life of our church and in the life of each of us individually. Studying your word in this fashion takes away all the, uh, just the, responsibility of trying to drum up another message or to drum up some sort of current uh, thing that is happening in this world that can relate to us. On the contrary, Father, if we will be faithful to your word, you will do that part. All we need to do is to preach what you lay before us by your hand and in your time. 
Now, Father, would you hide the one, please, that is about to give this message? Would you please, Father God, allow us to see the importance of each of us have with one another here within this church and how none of us are an island. We desperately need each other. Now bless us, please, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me start by telling you a story that most of you all know. Um, History uh, tells us a, a mythological story about Troy. Trojans had held out the people of Greece for ten long years, we're told. The Greeks could not get into the city of Troy because the walls were just too enormous. They were too tough, but they weren't bigger than them. They were just tougher than them because of, the, because of their city. It was fortified to the max. And so for ten long years, the Greek soldiers tried to penetrate Troy, couldn't. So finally, the Greeks, in frustration, it appeared, sailed away. The only thing they left behind was a wooden horse. As the Trojans saw the Greeks sail away and they saw their ships disappear, they kept looking at that horse and they thought, what is this? And so what they did was they brought it inside the camp. That was the undoing and the destruction of Troy. Because you know the story, there were Greek soldiers hidden within that wooden horse. And at nighttime, when the city of Troy was asleep, the soldiers got out and destroyed the people of Troy. Troy held back the enemy for ten years until the enemy got inside the camp. In a similar fashion, You and I are warned by none other than Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 2 when he talks about the seven different churches. We are warned over and over again that the churches that the Lord God warns fall because of trouble from within. Look at Revelation chapter 2 for just a moment. We're only going to look at one verse. We just want to make our point. Jimmy, you being Greek, you better not leave a wooden horse here when you leave. <laughs> and Jimmy's one of my dearest friends. By the way, he tells me when he leaves. He tells me that he has to go and, and there's business, but he he's faithful to be here. I love you very much, my friend. Jesus Christ warned that the enemy would attack the churches from within. Look at Revelation 2.14. Jesus says, I have a few things against you. Over and over again, he makes this statement. I have these things against you. And over and over again to the churches he warns, he says, because you have there. The words there, the word there means there within. He says, this I have against you because you have there, there within, some who hold to the teaching of Balaam who keep teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. The stumbling block is that they tell them that they ought to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Jesus said, this is true also in verse 20, but it's true of almost every church. 
But that's not the point. The, the point isn't to study each church. The point is to see that Jesus Christ says, this I have against you. There is something within that is destroying what I want to establish within your church. Jesus says to these churches, in effect, you have something inside of you that's going to bring about your destruction unless you deal with it. Christian, you know this. Satan mostly hurts and harms churches from within. It's not normally those things that happen outside the four walls of the church that help to destroy it. Back to Joshua chapter 7, the only battle that the children of Israel lost when they went into the promised land was this battle outside of the city of Ai. And the defeat came not from outside the camp. It wasn't the people of Ai that beat them. It was the sin within the camp that put Israel down. Because God said to them plainly in verse 12, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. When the children of Israel entered the promised land, there were three very obvious enemies that I'm sure Joshua knew of. There was Jericho, which they won that battle by the hand of God. Then there was Ai, and then there were the Gibeonites. These three enemies prevented Israel from their enjoyment and their immediate possession of the promised land. But wait! We already know the land is theirs. God has given them the land. Their obstacle was not in the land. Their enemy was from within. And their enemy was none other than sin. In your life and my life as believers, we have been told in Ephesians 1.3 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's our promise. That's the promise that we have from God. And the, the blessings that you and I have to do all that God has called us to do, there's only one enemy that can keep us from our blessing. You know what it is? You know what it is? Sin. Sin is the only enemy that can keep you and me from all the blessings that God wants to pour out into our lives. And unless we deal with that sin, He says, I will not be with you until you take care of that. Their enemy, Israel's enemy, was sin. And look, look, it's so amazing. Look what this enemy does to Israel the enemy, again, is sin. Do you remember? Sure you do. Look back at chapter 2. Look at verses 9 and 11. In chapter 2, Rahab, the harlot, told the, the spies, these people here have heard about all that you have done. We've heard how you've crossed the Red Sea, how you, the Lord, your God, parted the Red Sea. You walked through the Red Sea. And so she says in chapter 2 and verse 9, she said to the men, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land. We all do. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. 
we, the people of Jericho, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. And look at verse 11. When we heard this, when we heard all that God did, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any of us any longer because of you, because the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And now look what happens. Look at chapter 7. In just this short period of time, look at verse 5. The men of Ai, it says in verse 5, chapter 7, struck down about 36 of the Israelites. They pursued them from the gates as far as Shabarim. They struck them down on the descent. And now look, they so beat them up that the hearts of the people, hearts of Israel, melted and became like water. What was the heart of Jericho and all the people that heard about Israel in the promised land was melted before Israel. Now Israel's heart is melting before their enemy. Why? Because of sin. The people of Jericho were afraid of Israel. But now it's the people of Israel whose hearts have melted like water. People, that is exactly... That is exactly, that is to the T what sin will do to us. It will give us a spirit of timidity. It will give us a spirit of fear. It will give us an I can't do this because innately you and I who are believers know that there is something that is blocking God working through us. Sin. And unless we deal with it, He will leave us alone. Oh, church. There's nothing that will stop what we plan to do as a body of believers quicker than sin. But I am here to say to you by the authority of the Word of God, it's not the sin of everyone. It can be just one person. What a responsibility. Now, if you'll note, there wasn't a great number who sinned. Just one person, Achan, in verse verse 1, we were told... In verse 1, it says, The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. That took in everybody. But in regards to the thing on the van, because Achan, 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 that one guy, Achan, the son of Carmi, he took something that he shouldn't have taken. And because of Achan, 36, 36 people were killed. While I'm talking to you, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Just one verse. You've got to see it. Hebrews chapter 12. Please turn there. Now listen, though, while you're turning. This was Israel's only defeat in the promised land in Canaan. The defeat is forever associated with Achan's name, meaning trouble. Now, I want to say to you, never underestimate the amount of damage that one person and one sin can do to a body of believers, or to a family, or to a business. You can take this and you can apply this to any facet of your life that you so desire. Never underestimate the damage that one person, one sin can do. David was disobedient before God. David took an unauthorized census Do you know how many people of Israel died because of his senses? 70,000. David, one man, sinned. 70,000 paid with their life because of David's sin. I I asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see 
You know, you can read this and you might miss it. But not when you combine it with what we are studying now with Achan. Not when you combine it when the Lord God says to Achan and to, no, to, when he says to Joshua, the, all of Israel has sinned. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 15, the church today is told to be careful because we are warned. See to it that no one comes short. You need to understand, that's talking about no one person. Not the church, but that no one person comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness can spring up and cause trouble, and by it, How many become defiled? Well, we don't know. It just says many. One person. See to it that no one comes short to the grace of God because by that one, many will be defiled. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul warns the church to take this one believer who is in sin and to discipline him. To discipline him from their fellowship because his sin was going to defile the whole church. One sin, one sin, one disobedient person, one person who doesn't want to follow whatever it is that's been asked and whatever that is, And that person rebels. That one rebellion can cause trouble amongst many. Now, here's something interesting to note. If we turn back to uh, Joshua chapter 7, God makes it clear that it was all of Israel that sinned, not just Achan. Verse 1, the sons of Israel have acted unfaithfully. Oh, really? It's just Achan? Come on. Verse 11, Israel has sinned. It was Achan. Come on, Lord. Am I my brother's keeper here? I would ask you, why would God blame the whole nation for the disobedience of just one person? Why might He harm a whole family because of one person's sin? Why would He take down one one great business because of one person's sin? inability to walk correctly with the Lord. I'll tell you why. This is very important for you and me to understand. This will set you and me free as a church. Israel is called a nation, one nation under God. It is one it is one person, one people of God, Israel is. It's not an assorted collection of tribes and clans and families and individuals. No, their their collective actions, Israel's, good or bad, affected the relationship to the Lord and to one another of all of them. Now watch and learn. From this one isolated incident of Achan and Israel, how it deals and affects the church today. In the same fashion, God's people today, you and me, If we name the name of Jesus Christ, we are like Israel in that fashion. We are one body in Christ. And you affect me, and I affect you, and we affect one another in this body that we have, this church called the Rock Community Church. 
Turn with me as we close to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read you a section of Scripture that you read before, but maybe in your heart, maybe like myself, it will so resonate within you. It will mean so much more than what perhaps it meant when you read it before. We belong to each other. You and I need one another. We affect one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says in verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. Verse 12, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. Verse 13 tells you and me, For by one Spirit we have been all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Greek, whether we be a slave or a free person. We are all made to drink of one Spirit. Because it says in verse 14, The body is not one member, it is many. And so Paul gives an example here in verses 15 and forward. He says, If the foot should say, I'm not a hand. Therefore, I'm not a part of the body. Paul says, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. He says in verse 16, if the near should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. He says the same thing. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, into the body just as He desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but there is but one body. Therefore, He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have any need of you. Nor the head to the feet, saying, I don't have any need of you either. On the contrary, He says it is much truer that The members of the body which seems to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seamlessness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Verse 26. Look, if one member suffers, we all suffer. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with that one person. Folks, your weakness and my weaknesses, your strength and my strength, Our joys and our sorrows are felt within the whole body of Christ. The body of Christ does not function alone. You and I are not islands. And so when one sins, we all sin. When one becomes disruptive, we all become disruptive. And that must be dealt with. God is a gracious God. In a moment, we're going to take a communion. In a moment, you will have an opportunity to 
to kind of cleanse yourself if there's any sin. We know one thing about God. He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins if we confess them to Him. And He will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. That is the beauty of living in the New Testament times. Your sin can be dealt with that quickly. And you can be that forgiven that quickly and be cleansed, as the Bible says, as white as... We need to remember how far the Lord has brought us. We need to remember how good He has been and how grateful we ought to be for who He is. We need to reflect on where we are in Scripture, but also where we are as a church. I believe God is blessing this church and you believers, myself included, in more ways than we could ever imagine. So I wanted to take the time just to reflect on what God has done. But more than that, look forward to what He's going to do. As a church, you and I have a lot to be thankful for. Great memories. Great, great, great memories. Great people who have helped us. What we see of Achan in Joshua chapter 7 is is an amazing thing. Um, We see a couple things that, that is mentioned there that that ought to really resonate within our hearts. Number one, that that, that uh, Joshua said to Achan in verse 19, give glory to the Lord. Give praise to Him. Joshua said to, um, to Achan, give glory to the Lord. Give praise to Him. Tell Him, tell him what you've done. Now, Joshua said, tell me. But today, we don't have to do that. Each of us individually have this relationship with the Lord that we can go to Him all by ourselves and tell Him what we have done. And But Joshua said an amazing thing, I think, a very important thing to, uh, to Achan. And he said, don't hide. Don't hide what you've done. You know, most people, um, I find over the time, most people doubt dabble in Christianity, dabble in religion. And many are are miserable because they don't deal deeply with the sin in their lives. Most of us know when there's something that we're trying to hide from God. Most of us know when there's something that we're just trying to keep from Him. Uh, and why, I don't know. That that goes beyond my imagination. Because the truth of the matter is, He knows everything that we've done. He even knows what we're thinking about doing. And so, so many people are miserable because they don't deal with sin. The Apostle Paul said it perhaps best. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 He says, if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. He says, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with this world. Folks, I don't know. I am, I don't know. I don't know where this world's going. I can only guess just like anyone else can. But it's scary to me. Just to me. And I don't want to put up um, any of that on you. 
nation is starting to rise up against nation. There is just rumors of wars and wars going on, and it's getting to be almost so quickly happening that I don't want to be judged alongside of this world. I want to judge myself so that God won't judge me. And He'll forgive me of my sin. That's what Jesus Christ did. Remember when He took the bread when at the last supper He had with His uh, disciples. He said, look, this is my body. This is, this is, this is my body. This, he says, will be given unto you. This will be nailed to a cross. And so he says, whenever you eat of this bread, you eat of it in remembrance of who I am and what I've done for you. That I went to the cross. That I suffered. He says, I went to the cross for you. Remember what I've done. Take the bread right now and Eat of it, remembering what our Lord has done for us. As you chew on this bread, do so in remembrance of what God has done for you upon the cross. But then, shortly thereafter, he took some wine. In this case, it's juice. And he said, this is my blood. It's going to be shed for you. You are going to have a new covenant, and that is the forgiveness of your sins. I beg of you, as Joshua said to Achan, give God the glory. Praise His holy and righteous name. Tell Him, what have you done? Don't hide any sin from Him. Allow Him to help cleanse you. Dear Father, I think each of us, one way or another, would love to thank you for Joshua. I'm not sure. All I know is that uh, my heart just goes out to him. Because that really could have been any one of us, Father. Any one of us who <clears throat> saw and then coveted and then took. Thank you that today, when we deal with our sin correctly, when we judge ourselves guilty and tell you all that we have done wrong and don't hide anything from you, that you will take that sin and forgive it and separate it from us as far as the east is from the west. And you, you, Father, tell us you will remember it no more. Help us, help us, Father, to not remember it either. Help us to be so cleansed that today when we walk with you, we will be walking with the mighty and awesome God who promises us that he will be with us because we confessed those things that separated us from you. Thank you for communion, Father. Thank you for this church, dear Father. Thank you for the five years that you have given us, dear Father. And we thank you by faith for the many, many years you will give 
to this church until you come to take us all home. And so, Father, I pray your blessings upon us. I pray your blessings upon our president, our newly elected president. I pray, Father, that he will rise to the occasion. Pray that the physician will move his heart. Pray your protection upon us as a country. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you all. Thank you. Have a great day.